Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we have Sadie Baudet with us from Tradlands. And Sadie, it's so great to have you with us in studio. Thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan of the podcast, as are all of the women in our Tradlands office. And I'm just really happy to be here. Well, we love um, to hear that. And please give a giant <laughs> hug to every single woman who's listening in your office and tell them to tell, them to tell their friends. We need, we need everybody to, to hear yeah, these I awesome agree. stories, including yours, Sadie. So tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about your company. Tell us about Tradlands for those people who are listening who don't know what you do yet. Yeah. So Tradlands was started in 2012. Um, we focus on making high quality essentials for women that are gently inspired by classic menswear. So we focus on making clothing that's timeless, comfortable, made to last. And our original product was the button-up shirt. And that started because I wanted to create something that I saw that was missing when I was shopping for myself. So I've always considered myself a bit of a tomboy. And when I was younger, I used to shop in the menswear aisle and thrift stores, and I would try to tailor those items to fit myself. And in my 20s, I, you know, still found myself drifting to the menswear section. And I always thought, I wish they would make these chinos or these jeans or this shirting, but made for me. And I would say that that's where Tradland started from. It was that idea. And um, initially, I focused on making the button-up shirt I found that it was an essential in my closet and in those of so many women that I knew and noticed, and I wanted to design a really great button-up. So um, I started by purchasing and examining some top-rated shirts from a lot of women's brands, some that I knew of, some that I didn't know of. I did a lot of research, and I really made notes, measurements. I washed them, wore them, um, built a first prototype, tried it on a lot of women that I knew, built some more prototypes. And um, that was really initially how we lost, launched the first Tradlands product. Um, and I'd, I'd say also that I started by designing clothing that I wanted to wear that I thought was missing. Um, you know, I really saw that there was like quality and timelessness and some of the menswear stuff that I didn't see so much when I was shopping um, for myself. But what turned out was that there was a lot of other people who wanted those, mm. who had that same feeling or wanted similar pieces. So Tradlands has grown more into a community of women, you know, a lot of consciously minded women that really support us now in designing clothing that's made for them. Um, I think Tradlands really started being a lot about me. And now it's really about the community that we have with our fans and customers, um, I'd say that they're the driving force behind the new products we create and any updates we make to existing products. And now we have a much more full range of products, but it really started with that one button up and then it's grown from there. That shirt. Yeah. That shirt. 
Um, I'm glad you said community and we'll get mm -hmm. into that in the second half of this interview because I'm really curious about what that means to you and how you've curated mm -hmm. that. Um, go back really quickly to the concept of the button-up shirt. Um, what experience did you have that made you say, I have an idea. <laughs> I want to start a business um, creating these button-up shirts that are made to last and inspired by menswear. And mm -hmm. wh where did you, what did you do before that led you to believe this was something that you could do? You know, my, in my professional experience before that, I didn't have a lot of experience in clothing manufacturing specifically, but I did grow up watching my grandmother sew and I learned to sew from her and my mom. So I always was a sewer and a crafter. I mean, from the time that I was a teenager, I was I made jewelry that I used to sell at these local fairs that my parents used to drive me to every weekend. And I went to undergraduate for art. And um, I mean, I did furniture design. I was in interior design. I was really always around the design world. But in sure. 2009, I moved to San Francisco and I had some background from college in printmaking and fabric experimentation. So I found a job with a small clothing company there. And I would say that from that job, I learned um, I learned a lot about how to run a small business. I also learned a lot of things that I would have done, wanted to do differently. And I think that that job really informed my belief that I could do something like this on my own. And then layered in. What an awesome experience yeah. to have had that at that age. To, I mean, to really, somebody gave you that opportunity, not just to have a job, but to really explore within that job, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that job definitely laid out for me that I could build something like that on my, on my own, for sure. And what was the hardest part of actually launching this platform that we now know as Tradlands? I would say that when we, <laughs> when we launched and we put the products up, I thought this is it. I've made it. Now this is going to be my business. <laughs> and I, yeah. I quickly realized that I had to learn how to market and I had to understand cash flow and what a healthy business yeah. looks like, especially on the financial side. That aspect was a huge learning curve for me. Sure. And sure. Um, isn't it funny? I, uh, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say you said no, something really, really, really important. I don't even know if you know how important it is, but so many of us believe that starting a business is building a pretty site that navigates, making sure there's a shopping mm -hmm. cart, having mm -hmm. a product or a service to sell, um, making sure that it's branded and we've got some Instagram pictures up. And then mm -hmm. you hit, you know, best, basically pre play and every, or pray, <laughs> or you can pray too, in addition to <laughs> that, that too, yeah. And then, yeah. And then people come and that's just not the reality. I mean, there is no. something about if you build it, they have a place to come to, but it's not necessarily mm -hmm. if you build it, they just come. And in this mm -hmm. space, and I say this all the time in the podcast where there's just so much noise and so much information and we're constantly being, being inundated. I can't talk today inundated with um, <laughs> visuals and messages and come here and go there. It's really, really hard to get the attention of the people that we ultimately want to get the attention of. But you point out that I was so excited, like I had built my business and what you built <laughs> was a beautiful website and a beautiful product that you had it sounds like painstakingly, you know, researched and developed, mm -hmm. but then it was like, oh, I have to go get the customers. I have to, yep. I have to make this business an actual money-making um, mm -hmm. opportunity. So 
Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for saying something that was in just a, a slight part of your story, but I think is a really important piece of information that people need to know. Because if that's not the part you want to do, maybe you don't want to build a business. Maybe you want to help other people build businesses and work on the startup part. So, totally. so, anyway, so you, you learned that. Yeah. And I know also know some women that, you know, um, I've talked to about starting their own businesses, but they really enjoy product design or they really enjoy the creative aspect. And I think that that not that you can't be involved with those things, but there are so many other hats you wear once you're a business owner that I think that I wasn't really aware of how much my attention had to go in so many other directions and how much I had to learn and learn quickly if I wanted to get this thing off the ground and actually have some success with it. What was the thing that you really loved doing often that you had to give up a little bit of doing? Like you had to pass it off a little or you had to pass it off a lot even. Yeah, I would say that um, being being as closely involved with the like specific designing of the products, I realized at a certain point in time that I maybe wasn't even the best person for that, that I wanted to find somebody who was even better than me at understanding how to translate a design to really great manufacturing practices. I still uh, keep myself very involved with product development, probably more than maybe I, I, I could because we do have a team of people that can do that. But I do mm-hmm. love it so much that I wouldn't want to not have my hand in it because I feel like it's where I started and where my heart still is in this business is being part of the actual products we create that women wear. And that part of it's still so important to me. But it's also part I've had to step away from a little bit. Sure. And it probably, I mean, I think we need to give ourselves space to do the things that we love. Sometimes yeah. it's like carve out a little bit of um, of your day, of your week, of the month where you are doing something that you love. Even if there's somebody who's better at it, maybe let them take the lead or be the person who really mm-hmm. manages the details. But be involved because at the end of the day, we're trying to do something that we love. And to to get too much distance from that can also be can leave us feel even more depleted because it's like I'm working on all the the boring stuff <laughs> or I'm working on yeah. all the, you know, whatever that is to you. For for different people, yeah. it's something different. But we've said the story of kind of the, the cupcake maker who started out because she just loved decorating pretty cupcakes and putting them in, you know, her mm-hmm. window. And then she realized really quickly, like, oh, I can't do this if I'm going to continue to mm-hmm run this business and scale this business. I got to find somebody else who's going to do this. But maybe she can still be on the creative side of developing new flavors or, you know, coming up with new designs or whatever. And I also think the other part, too, is at the beginning, I thought I needed to do everything uh, almost in a, you know, I don't think I was aware of this in an an egotistical sense that I thought, oh, I'm the best person to do this. But what I've also Mm -hmm. found is like when you build a great team, those people are actually better at those things than you thought that you could be like even customer service. That was hard for me to give up because I felt that that was my way to connect with customers and really get a pulse for things that they were liking or not liking or changes that they wanted to see. But now we have this really amazing community manager and she um, is able to relate to me everything that's going on while still really supporting that community so I can focus on some other things so that we can continue to grow the business a little bit. Sure. How long did it take you? 
Let me ask it this way. How long were you running things by yourself? And then at what point in the life of the business did you, were you able to hire and give some of that away? So we hired a virtual, like I, we had a virtual assistant, I would say, um, maybe after about two years. And that worked out for a little while, but I think that we realized we needed more um, people who are specific to roles. And so it's been a year, a little over a year and a half since we hired our more full-time team that um, work on the specific aspects of the business. And so what's, how long is the, how, how long have you been in business right now? Oh, sorry. Um, 2000, so we, so we started in 2012. Um, okay. so okay. it's been maybe like five years or four. It's good for people to hear. Cause I think it gives them a sense of when they're launching, like, oh, am I supposed to, based on what Sadie's saying, am I supposed to be here in year one? Is, is she talking yeah. about months? Like it took me six months to do everything myself. And then in the latter six months I hired, mm-hmm. or is it a matter of years? And I think it's good for people to get a sense just of context, like what, what was your story and how can yeah. they glean information from that or even benefit from that being a, a guide for their own story? Yeah, w- totally. And I think that it's so different depending on who you speak to. I know I've known people who hire right away or hire be- even before they've even launched. I think it depends on, you know, almost like what what books you're reading, what people you're talking to. You know, if you have a business coach, they might push you in this direction. Um, if you have another um, person that you look to for advice, they might push you in another direction. Um, and then there's also the decisions we make for ourselves based on what we think is best for the business. But um, I would definitely say that I waited, I think I waited too long to hire. That's a feeling that I have um, about mm-hmm. how, yeah, it just really took a long time. And I took so much stuff on for myself to a point where maybe it wasn't so healthy for me. But um, I think, yeah, everyone kind of finds their way about hiring and when it works for them. But it's always hard to put a finger on when's the right time. I think that that's a tough thing to do. But I would say, by and large, I think most entrepreneurs that I've met have said that they waited too long more than they have hired too quickly. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. I think that Mm -hmm. I I, I second that. Um, (laughs) And that comes from fear and now I'm responsible for another person and where's that revenue going to come from and can I cover all of that? And then the control issue, I think, is a really real part of it as we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like from back in the day when you had your jewelry business that your parents were taking you to these, um, sounds like like (laughs) open markets or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you were bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. So did you know that this was something that you wanted to kind of one day own your own business and be an entrepreneur or did it just sort of happen? So my mom and dad, they ran a business and they, you know, they still run a business and they always encouraged me and my brother to work for ourselves. It was always something that was like in the dialogue when we were younger, but I think I was too young to really think about it on a bigger sense of maybe why they were pushing us in that direction. But the older I get, the more I really respect and appreciate and have such a profound gratitude for how much my parents encouraged us to believe that we could do anything we wanted and create anything, create anything we wanted for our life. I think that for myself, I always saw myself as kind of a middle management person for many years. And I managed small teams and that was really comfortable for me. But what changed is that I, I wasn't really happy at that level. And I had those thoughts of like, is this what I want for my life, you know, working this desk job and not feeling really fulfilled. So I think it really took some belief in myself um, 
that maybe I didn't have when I was younger to combined with that feeling of, you know, everything that my parents had laid out for me about being able to control my own time and my own schedule Mm. and to be able to do work I loved. And I think that that really was the push for me when I thought I could give it a go. It's interesting that your parents and hopefully more and more parents are are Mm -hmm. equipping their kids with that advice, Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's because when you get out of college, it's a hard it's a hard thing to find a job. Um, And and it Mm -hmm. perhaps is a very different experience than than what they had. Although I think that's really changing, even for those who are parenting now, they they may have come out Mm -hmm. of that economy themselves. When you were launching and when you decided that this was the, you know, you looked at the the, sh- the shirt, the landscape of women's shirting. Mm-hmm. What made you think not only I can, can I do this from a creative point of view from, but from the financial point of view, did you put in a little bit of your own money? Did you go out and get some money? Yeah. What, like, how did that, tell us how that started? Cause right now your story is like kind of a perfect story. Like you, you, mm-hmm. your parents encouraged this you played around with some of these creative concepts in college. You had this great opportunity in San Francisco where mm-hmm. you were able to have a job, work for somebody, but also kind of realize some of your potential as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. What, was there a hard part in this? And, and I don't diminish <laughs> that because I know that the last six years yeah. have probably been really hard of running this business. But <laughs> how, how, yeah. how was the like money part of it? I think that's a conversation mm-hmm. a lot of us don't don't have or aren't asked or don't share. Yeah, of course. So I would say that the money part is probably been the hardest part of um, both starting Mm. the business and maintaining the business. When I was first starting the business, I didn't, you know, I was living in in San Francisco, wasn't really making um, enough money to make ends meet. So I left my job, went and got a office management job that was like a true nine to five where I was like, okay, I can make a, a, I can pay my rent with this money. And then I can work on this Tradlands idea at night and on the weekends. And that's exactly what I did for about a year to start the business. I cashed out my 401k. Um, my parents gave me a little bit of money to get started. I think they had Mm -hmm. given me like $3,000 or $4,000 or something like that. And the other thing that I did, because it didn't seem that I would have enough money to really get this thing off the ground. I mean, when I'm talking about cashing out my 401k, it was like $5,000. It wasn't like um, $100,000. But I started talking about what I was doing to like my friends and to my family. And people, more than anything, people helped out with aspects of building the business that I wouldn't have been able to afford. So my one of my closest friends is a graphic designer. He designed our first website for free and my brother coded the whole website for free. And we just had a lot of support from like our friend group and our family groups, which was really awesome. But I would say that in the that the financial aspect of getting the business off the ground was definitely the most challenging. And um, I think the years that followed were the hardest. So I left my job in San Francisco and I moved to Maine. Um, I moved in with my brother in Maine for a year and worked on Tradlands from there. And then I moved in with my in-laws. Uh, I got married in Maine and then my husband and I moved in with our in-laws for a couple years, um, like all trying to save money so that we could hopefully get this business to stay off, to, get, to keep running. Um, right. and those three years were <laughs> pretty hard. 
Not that you don't love your in-laws, but yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, you know, I went from living in San Francisco to living in their basement in Iowa and in a really small town and felt really isolated from, you know, my communities and my family and my friends. So I think that the the hardest parts for me have been since the business started. I think those first three years were a pretty big challenge. And I mean, it's 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 riddled with ups and downs throughout the way, I'd say. Sure. So so you're in a basement in Iowa. You're yeah. two and three years <laughs> in. You're newly married. What keeps mm-hmm. you from throwing in the towel and saying, um, I'll just go get a job and go back to San Francisco where life is a little yeah. bit more full and exciting for, for you? Uh, full and exciting yeah. can exist in Iowa. We don't need anybody emailing us and telling us yeah. <laughs> that it's not. I'm, sh- I'm sure it is. But for you, what, yeah. what kept you from throwing in the towel and saying, forget it? You know, there were definitely times where I felt like I want, I felt like I might throw in the towel or I questioned why I'd made this choice or why did I leave that solid job? Because I would ask myself, is this worth it? But I think that this wasn't ever a side hustle for me. This was the whole hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely had family members who were like, maybe you should get another job. Maybe you should get a side job. And I was like, no, th- this is it. This is the thing that I'm doing. <laughs> but I think what really kept me going during that time was knowing that this is what I set out to do. And I believed in myself and I believed that I could create that for my life. And I still today, that's what drives me is that feeling inside that I know that I can do it. And I think sometimes you feel a little bit alone because not everybody is on the same wavelength unless they've been in the trenches of starting your own business and trying to get it off the ground. And I think that's why it's really important that you kind of listen to your own voice and try to really come back to what your intentions were when you started. And for me, the intentions are still the same. And those are the things that I go back to and remind myself of. So the intentions fuel that sort of level of confidence or that like stick stick in there, hang in there. Mm-hmm. You've got this, Sadie. Um, and are the mm-hmm. intentions all about the the product or the brand or the community? Mm-hmm. Like what are those intentions specifically that what is the thing that really fuels you? Because although you knew that the market needed a button down shirt, is that the intention that fuels you or is it a different, does it go beyond that or is it I'm not diminishing that. That's a great intention. But mm-hmm. what what is it specifically? Because yeah. I think a lot of us hear that. And there are going to be women who are listening to you and they're like, yeah, I, I, I believe. I believe in myself. Yeah. But then they run out of some of that belief and they need something perhaps a little bit more concrete. So what do you want to say to them? Like by example. Yeah. I think that for me um, – that the business came from my heart. So I think that when I look at the products and I look at the website, it's so tied into my identity at this point that it, it would feel like chopping off a limb to decide Mm. to let it go. And I also feel like that community is counting on me to continue to fulfill on those things. So I do feel so tied to that community. I also feel so responsible to our employees at the same time as well. And I also think that a major part of what drives me is how much I love what I'm doing now when it's great and things are going well or when when you celebrate a little win. It's like I don't ever want that to um, 
I don't ever want to go back to how I felt when I was working for somebody else and not having that same vigor and that same passion. So I think that when things are tough, I remind myself that that is what I want to get back to or that I need to make a pivot in the business to navigate myself back in that direction. But I definitely think that like the business itself you know, it's taken on this larger than life meaning for me and in my life um, because of it's it's so much tied into who I am and what I've set up for my life. And I feel a responsibility to the community that we've built as well. I, I so respect that and love that you keep coming back to community because we're <laughs> going to dive into that in a bit. So I want you to just take a minute and go back to Sadie six years ago. Um, the mm-hmm. Sadie with, that was launching all of this and had this big dream and vision for what um, this company could be. And what's one piece of business advice you'd like to share with her? I think that I would tell her that it's okay to put yourself out there and that it's scary, but that the biggest growth opportunities come from the failures and they come from when you're the most uncomfortable and to lean into that and let it be okay and ride it out. Because I think in the early years, that was that part of it was really hard for me. And um, I think if I had to go back, I mean, it's so much about an emotional aspect of running a business. But I think for me, that's been one of the biggest challenges for sure. Of course, there's like certain things business-wise I would do differently. Like I mentioned earlier, I would, you know, I think that I would have hired sooner or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would have maybe taken more time early on to learn about marketing and business. But I think that like the big thing that it's taken me a long time to learn is that it's okay to be seen and it's okay to fail. And it's okay to fail in front of people as long as you acknowledge it and you take responsibility for it and you continue the conversation with those people. Um, So I think that that would be some advice that I would give. I don't know if I would have taken that advice, but I would like to think that. That's a nice (laughs) distinction. No, that's good, right? Easier said than done. Um, So let me ask you, just building on that, you just said it's okay to fail in front of people. Is it okay? Are Mm -hmm. we talking about our family, our employees, or the community that we've built? Uh, You know, I think all aspects. Um, You know, I'm I'm, I'm someone who operates from like a very... I'm very empathy driven. Um, And Mm -hmm. I know that I thought early on, like I had to learn to be a tough boss, but that's just not who I am. And I think that when our, uh, my relationship with our employees is very vulnerable and open, I think that makes us all better and more connected. And, you know, I've talked to them about that and they feel the same way. So I think when they've seen me fail and I can own up to that and share it with them and we can all learn from that, I think it's better for, for, for our team as a whole. I also think, you know, I've definitely dropped the ball so many times with our customers and our community. And it's scary to step out and say, you know what, I, you know, I, whether it's something small, like we sent you the wrong item in your order, or we had a quality issue with this product, or I think it's important to like, put yourself out there to, to acknowledge those uh, mistakes. And I think that you will, grow closer to that community of people um, through being vulnerable. Yeah. And I think we see that in particular in social media where brands have been, whether the brand is not necessarily a particular person, but just the whole brand, or it's the the founder or the CEO, whoever's at the helm um, coming Mm -hmm. 
through and just saying, hey, it's been a hard month. This is how we bounce back. Or in some cases, the founders sharing some of their personal stories, which I'm seeing more and more and more of, especially in light of a lot of the things that have emerged uh, in the last few weeks that coming from stemming from isolation and from loneliness and from um, kind of issues around mental health. And, yeah. you know, we, we have a group in LA that meets called Mentor Mondays uh, once a month. And this last month, the theme was for us was just going in and talking about, hey, you guys are really isolated as freelancers and solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. Even if you have a team, you're kind of running running the show. And so you might not feel like you can share with that team everything that's going on. So let's talk about how to get in that healthy space and let's talk about how to be honest and how to share things that we feel grateful that we're successful, but we don't feel like we can share because we might be boasting yeah. or whatever and, and also mm-hmm. really dark places where we feel alone. And I think as that emerges from more and more women who are founders in particular, it seems as though there's just this natural gravitation towards not just what we've always called transparency in the last, I think, five years in social media. That's been such Mm -hmm. a buzzword, but something Mm -hmm. even more than that, where it's, I'm going to, I'm going to let you behind the door. This is, this is behind the curtain. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate so much what you're saying, because I think it's a very real thing for women who by all accounts, you're being viewed at by others as a success, as somebody who's made it, who, as somebody who's gone after what she wants. And those things are true. And you can also find yourself in a situation where um, you feel alone and you're not sure if yeah. you're making the right decisions for your business or you're not sure if mm-hmm. these successes are the successes that you want them to be or whatever the case might be. So I appreciate yeah. you saying you saying that, and I think a lot of other women will as well. So we are going to wrap up this portion of the interview. Thank you so much, uh, Sadie, for sharing your story and the story of Tradlands, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll see you guys next week, Liberty listeners, and we're going to get all the tools and tips and wisdom out of Sadie as it relates to community next week. Thanks, Sadie. Thank you. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 